Hi. Hi over there. Good. Good, good. Great to be here. You can always tell people from out of town by their sunburn. We just come and just get fried. And that's what it is. Oh, hi. Oh, we, we see the beach. <laughs> oh, you're, you're from the north. How could you tell? Big welts. And <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> you must be from Michigan. Yeah, we, where we go up and we see this big thing, yellow thing in the sky and go, what's that? <laughs> it's called the sun. Yeah, it's amazing. I worked. Uh, I've worked many jobs in my life. <clears throat> I really have worked a lot of jobs. I'm I'm a little older uh, than Malcolm, uh, but uh, I've worked a few jobs in my life. I've been a cook. Uh, two places, a YMCA camp and a hospital. Actually, I cleaned up the dishes in the hospital. Uh, I've been a, uh, let's see, a construction guy, two bucks an hour. Can you imagine that? Two dollars an hour. And so I had to work, I worked 12 hours a day just to make 24 bucks. Oh, it was brutal, too. Oh, it was really brutal. And uh, <clears throat> one of the jobs that I had was a, Surveyor. I worked for uh, Cleveland Surveys, and uh, you might think that that's really a cool job. I was the guy that stood in the in the uh, poison ivy with the rod, <laughs> while <laughs> while the guy while the guy turned the transit, you know, a little over this way, you know, that that kind of thing. That was me. And one of our jobs was to do ASAs. I have no idea what an ASA stands for. But every time somebody sells their house or somebody buys a house, the title gets switched. You know, you, 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 you take title of the house, right? And you have to do a title search on the house. And part of the title search is to see if there's any encroachments on the property. And that's, that's, a, that's a big deal because you could have your neighbor putting a shed on your property. And that has to be accounted for. So what you do is you have to go and you have these things called PK nails. I don't know what PK stands for. I, I don't know much at all, <laughs> except you go in the middle of an intersection. This is up north anyway in Ohio. That's where I was doing this. In Ohio, they have these little boxes. And in the boxes, you lift up, the surveyor lifts up the box and he sees this little nail. And that is the official line in the street, okay? So you measure from that nail, you have a plumb bob, and you have a 100-foot tape, and you, you measure that, and, you're, and the guy goes out, and he's right in the middle of the street, so you wear vests and stuff, and, and you, you walk down, and you have to measure from that nail, that PK nail, all the way down to the property. And you measure the front, the side, the side, and then you measure from the front, you have an easement, of course, but you measure from the front to the house. You draw a picture of the house. You relate everything to the house, to the house, to the sides of the property, etc. If it's a pie, who cares? Okay? Except for this point, 
is we got we did all this stuff. We were in one of the toughest neighborhoods in Cleveland called Huff. In '68, Huff had riots. It was like Watts. It was like uh, in Chicago. It was like Detroit, and uh, a lot of it burned. It was really, really a tough neighborhood. And so we're years later. It's uh, and and uh, it's like early early to mid '70s, and uh, I'm I'm running the tape. I'm I'm coming from the front. So what I had to do is the the surveyor. He is on the front, and he's measuring from that line, which we measured all the way down the street. He's measuring, see where the houses and the garage ties in. You got a picture of this? I don't know if you do or not. Anyway, I had to take the tape, and I had to run it all the way to a, a freestanding garage. It wasn't attached. And I had to run the tape to the front left side of the, of the garage. So me, in those days I was thinner and a little bit more spry. I ran the tape all the way, and I went like this, and I put it down like this, and to, to, you know, put it right in the corner of the, of the uh, garage. And as I'm doing that, I'm looking at my, looking at the, at my uh, buddy, who is the surveyor, and I'm like this, and all of a sudden I hear, I look around, and there is this German shepherd on, on, a, on a leash, a chain, and he's this far from this part of my <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And my, I swallowed, re-swallowed my heart and my lungs. I did my own transplant. And... Uh, I, I just couldn't believe that I, you know, he was, and he was like wanting to be friends. <laughs> he thought, oh man, uh, here it is. And I thought, uh, you know, I was skinny at the time and I would have been skinnier. Uh, and this would have, this was really bad. And I, you know, one thing I really prayed, I mean, I was like, I was shaking. I went noodle time, you know, <laughs> and, uh, I was just so thankful that the chain was short. I was really thankful that the chain was short. And that's the title of our little discussion. Uh, The chain is short. And uh, I'd like us to look at a passage of Scripture that really talks about this, because when we look at this, God gives us three promises to lay hold of in our lives, in living our lives. Three promises. And uh, I'd like us to look at this, and it's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. And I, I like us, this is the last epistle Paul is writing. He's writing, Paul the Apostle is writing this epistle. This is his last, he's, you know, in chapter 4, he says, I have fought a good fight, I have, you know, my end is at hand, I know I'm not going to make this. It's, it, this is really over for him. He knows he's going to probably die at the hands of Nero. And uh, it's, it's over for him. So he's writing to Timothy in the faith. And he knows what the situation is in terms of leadership. He knows what the situation is in terms of leadership. Uh, because when persecution comes to the church, it's first going to come to the leaders of the church. In other words, if they're going to get the church, if they're going to try the, the opposition, try to damage the church, they're going to go after the leaders of the church. And this is what Paul, 
knows and what Paul is trying to communicate to Timothy. He's trying to do that to Timothy. And he's talking about, look at verse, look at verse 5. He says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy mother Lois and in thy mother grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by putting on of my hands. So stir that up, he's telling him. And then he's telling him this, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, uh, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. And he tells him late, you know, in the ensuing verses not to be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of me, nor don't be ashamed of me, nor of, of the gospel, you know, and me the prisoner of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of me as prisoner. Uh, you know, and, and so, but it's interesting. I want us to look at verse 7. But God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. And we look at this passage, we see, we see three promises that he gives us. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Three promises that you and I can lay hold of this very night. We can lay hold of these promises and count them for us. Because not only is Paul the Apostle telling this to his son in the faith, Timothy, because when Paul knew that when you, have, when you get persecuted, when persecution comes, he's going for the leadership. So when, Timothy, when you're faced with the, with the persecution, don't be fearful. God has not given us that spirit. If you're fearful, it's not of God. It's not of God. God hasn't given you the spirit of fear. In fact, if you have fear in your life, then, you know, you know love makes you know, cast out fear. It does. It gets rid of fear. It, it's perfect. And so you get rid of it. And that, you know, it's supplanted by love. God has not given us the spirit of fear. So, Timothy, my son in the faith, Paul is saying, don't be fearful. And this is not, you know, the New, New International Version of the Bible. The NIV renders that timidity. It's far worse than just timidity. It's outright fear. It's outright just not like I'm hesitant or resident. No, no, no. It's fear. And that's what the Greek word really indicates on this to us. But then he says, God has not given us that kind of a spirit, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. These three promises. What are these promises? We just saw them. God promises us power. And I'd like us to look at a few other passages here. We're going to come back to Second Timothy but you look at Philippians chapter 1. Philippians, look at Philippians chapter 1 because it's power. God gives us power, but power to do what? And I want to say power to die. Power to die. I like what Paul says to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1 verse 19. For I know that this shall turn, out, turn to my salvation through your uh, prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, 
whether it be by life or by death. For me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is what? Is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. Power to die. And one of the beautiful things about being a Christian is that we die well. (laughs) Christians do die well. We know where we're going. The hope is secure. It's reserved in heaven for us. He's got it. He takes us, and the moment we close our eyes to this world is the moment we open them and see Him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So He gives us power. He gives us this power. And and, uh, for me, personally, this was one of the big problems I had in my life. Because all my life, the Scriptures actually say this in Hebrews chapter 2, I was subject to bondage. The fear of death. The fear of I'm going to die and what's the, what's, what holds on beyond the, fut- you know, beyond the pale of death. What happens to that? I didn't know until I trusted Christ. And when I trusted Christ, the assurance of a home in heaven, the assurance that He's holding my life this very moment. This is powerful. Nobody gives this but God. Nobody gives this but God. God, He gives us the power to die. But one of the things that's interesting to me is not only does He give us the power to die. Some people say, you know, but we're sometimes like Peter. When he when the Lord when he was with the Lord, I will, I will go with you. I will die with you. You know, I will, I will do this with you. And he, uh, he ran. Because sometimes we say what we have to, sometimes the vibrato, we say, well, when the time comes for me to die, that's all I have to do is die. And so therefore, I've I've got the strength and the power to do that. Okay, that's cool. And and then that's certainly true. But how about power to live? Some of you out there tonight have thought about taking your own life. Haven't you? You don't have to say, yeah, you don't have to agree with that. You don't even have to shake your head or anything like that. But the idea of taking your own life is sweeter sometimes in our thinking. It's perverted, but we think this way than the problem that we are experiencing at that moment. But God has not given us the spirit of fear. He's given us, the, he's given us power. And it's not only power to die, but power to live. I like us to look and see that in Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Because, you know, when we talk about, when people talk about suicide of a, of a believer, uh, is that a possibility? And the answer is yes, it is a possibility. It is a possibility. People sometimes get their focus off the Lord and their focus on themselves and on the problem and they are intoxicated with that problem. They're drunk with the problem. That's all they can see is the problem. And the only way out The devil's right there telling us the easy way out is take your life. Just take your life. And I think that's why we like It's a Wonderful Life so much. We say, okay, what would it be like without us type of thing. And sometimes the devil's right there. Nobody will miss you. you You're a loser, all this kind of stuff. But look at Romans 15 verse 1. It says, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. 
Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good, to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. So our responsibility is not to me. It's not to my comfort. It's not to my well-being. It's to look on the other person. Philippians uh, reflects this as well. Looking not on his own things, but on the things of others. And so we look at this and it's power to live. I want you to know that God, whatever problem you face this evening, how daunting that problem is, Jesus Christ will see you through. He will see you through. He will minister in such a way. And He is, we often say this in evangelistic you know, uh, efforts, or we just tell people that Jesus is the answer. That is absolutely a fact. He's the answer for you in every, and not only in terms of me getting saved, but He's the answer in me, for me in every area of my life. And even if I've blown it, even if I've messed it up, even if I've uh, sinned great sins, God will forgive, God will see you through. So He gives us power not only to die, but power to live. And then also, uh, and we see this in the same passage in Romans 15, power to serve. He gives us power to serve others. In fact, that's really what it is. That's really the Christian life. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And so what happens is when we serve others and we are not enamored with ourselves and with our own needs, we're looking on the needs of others. God is blessed with that. He gives you the strength of that. And then He blesses you with blessing because of that. And it's incredible. Not that we should look at our... Look at verses 1 and 2 of 15 again. We ought not that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves, but let everyone of us please his neighbor for good to edification. I want to edify you. That's my God-given call. And he gives the strength to do it. And it's an incredible blessing to be a blessing to others. It really is. I double dog dare you to try it. If you haven't tried it, I was talking to this lady and she was a widower. Uh, a widower. She was a widow. Uh, 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 nothing more boring than perfection, right? Anyway, she was a widow and she was, uh, came to me and she said to me, say, Chris, I, I just feel so empty. Uh, you know, and I can understand that losing her husband, and she loved her husband of many, many years, and she just felt empty, and she just so you know, I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. And she was grandmotherly, and she, you know, she wasn't frail or anything like that. And and uh, so I said, you don't know what to do. I said, let me help you. And she goes, I said, stay right here. And I went and got one of the young young women. And uh, of, of the chapel, I said, you just stay right here. You, I, so I went over to my friend Donna. And Donna at that time had a whole bunch of little kids. And I said, I want, I, so I brought Donna over. And I, 
I said to this, this grandmotherly woman, I said, this is my friend Donna. She's got a boatload of kids. And you're going to babysit for her. From the hours of one to four. Whatever day she chooses. So she can get out of there. And that she can go to the mall and do whatever she wants to do. You're going to be a blessing that way. She said, really? <laughs> I said, yeah, that's what you're going to do. Because it, you, you're asking, what should you do? You're to serve others. You're to minister to others to see what that can happen. And, you know, a lot of times the elderly, especially the elderly women, think, oh, what can I do? I can't do anything. I have no gifts. Oh, wrong. Especially if you've raised a family, you know exactly what to do. And you can be a blessing in a lot of different ways. And uh, the lady left our assembly. No. <laughs> but I, no, I'm not, you know, she did, but not because of that. Uh, but the thing about it is when we look at this kind of thing, and, and you, can, you can be a blessing to these people. You can be a blessing to the saints. How can you do that? Can you look at ways to do that? Can you find out? Can you look, with, even without them knowing it, without them knowing it, serving them and helping them and being a blessing without those people even knowing and all of a sudden something's done or something is, is you know, you're, the blessing has occurred and you're going, and they're like, they're baffled. And they're giving praise to God, not to you. And that's fantastic. So God, God is not, you know, God has not um, given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. And so we look at this, and the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we realize that we already have this same power? If you know Jesus is your own personal Savior, you have this power. You have the power to, to die, to live, and to serve. And not only does He promise us power, but He promises us love. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And it's really interesting. You know, I, I look at, if you turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. That's to the right. It's near the book of Revelation. And it's not the book of Revelation, but it's near it. But notice what it says in, well, let's look at verses 17 through 19. Because it's love for the Lord. Love for the Lord. God gives us power to love Him. And to, He gives us the love, the love. The love for the Lord. And look at what it says here. It says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so we are, uh, so are we in, his, in this world. This is, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear hath punishment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We, listen to this now, we love Him. We love Him. Some of you can finish this, can't you? We love Him. Why? 
Because He first loved us. Oftentimes I feel like I don't love the Lord enough. You ever feel like that? I feel like my love for Him is so weak and so, so awful and I don't love God enough. And I don't want... Right, wait a second, let's get something straight. I can't love Him unless He first loved me. And as I dwell on that and dwell on the love of the Lord, I start to realize how great His love is for me and I, how can I not praise Him for that? Somebody once said, if you want to review... Actually, if you want to renew your love for the Lord, review His love for you. And that certainly is true. That certainly is true. You want to renew your love for Him, review His love for you. He first loved you. So we have love for the Lord. And God gives us this. What, a, what an incredible thing. A love. Uh, by the way, uh, Islam doesn't have the same love. Sorry doesn't have it. Neither does, is, neither does Buddhism or Confucianism or any other ism. doesn't have this. And God gives this. God ministers to it. And there's a bond of love between us and the Lord. And what a tremendous thing. What a tremendous thing to, to have love for the Lord. And then here's one for you. Love for the lost. Love for the lost. I'd like us to look at, at the, uh, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Love for the lost. And in Matthew chapter 9, we see, the, we see the Lord's, not dilemma, but we see the Lord instructing us and showing us this in terms of this instance. And when He saw the multitudes, verse 36 of Matthew 9, but when He saw the multitude, He was moved with compassion on them because they were faint and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And so we have, God gives us the love for the lost. Now we were on the beach today. I don't know what you call it. The board, the broad walk, or you know what I'm talking about. Over there. Just go straight over and go through the buildings, have them open the doors, and just drive right through. Okay. So, you know, we, we were there and all this. People, so many people, different colors, different sizes, you know, scantily clad, fully clad like me. And, uh, I mean, you know, all these different, all these different types of people from Quebec, uh, Francais, Spanish, all these different things, right, from all over the place. And then us... Michiganders who were fried, and then, and so you look at that, and you and you look at all these all these different people, and some of some of those people just they they I don't know how you feel about it they just disgust me. I mean I look at some of those folks and they're just disgusting people. <laughs> really, Chris? Yeah, I've been in New York City. I've been in a lot of different cities in the United States, and I've been abroad. And there's some people I just really don't want to even be near. Now, I remember one time we were doing subway meetings. It was March. It was a very cold, cold early March day. And we were in the subways because up top, up in the New York City, up top, it was too cold. Nobody would gather. So we're doing subway ministry. And I had a whole team of Word of Life Bible Institute students looking. And we're, we're ministering together doing three rope tricks and on you know subway type of stuff, right? And I see this guy. 
And literally, at about 30 feet, you could smell them. Couldn't stand it. I mean, I, for me, the smell of urine, you know, that's been already evacuated, <laughs> drives me, I can't take it. I hate it. I hate the smell of urine. And yet this guy had urine-soaked pants. A guy came and he was sat down and he urine-soaked pants and he, you know, I did not know if he was a black man or a white man. I could not tell. He was so filthy. And he smelled so bad. It was unbelievable. And I just, he repulsed me. And I just asked God, God help me. Help me to talk to this man. Because he's the soul for whom Christ died. And so I went and sat right next to him. And I sat down right next to this guy. And he's got bell-bottom pants on. And he lifts to cross his legs like this. He's looking at me, looking at me like this. He crosses his legs and he's got no toes. He's got no shoes. He's got no socks. This is in the, in, the, in the dead of winter. And he's got nothing like this. And I'm looking at him, and the smell is just overwhelming. And now he's, he's looking like this, and he touches my shoulder, and he touches my, you know, he touches my knee, touches my shoulder, he touches my knee. I don't know what he is doing with that. You know? And I'm going a little, I'm getting a little creeped out. And uh, talking with him, and I just thought to myself, this is a soul for whom Christ died. This is a person for whom Jesus Christ hung on the cross to redeem. And I've got to treat him with respect. And I've got to love him. Love, would you love through me, Lord? I like what some guy prayed, and I pray it often. O river of God, flow through me that you might set others free. And I want that. And he gives us that love. He gives us not only love for himself, which is we, we think, well, that's pretty safe, but he gives us love for the lost. And not only love for the lost, but love for the unloving. Love for the unloving. Please turn with me to second or first Corinthians chapter thirteen and you immediately may be thinking, well, that's the love chapter. Of course it's going to say this, you know. But it's God talking to us and telling us that it's not you. It's Him in and through us. Love suffers long, verse 4, and is kind. Love envies not. Love vaunts not itself. Doesn't puff. It's not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly. Seeks not its own, not easily provoked, thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And so when we look at this kind of a passage, we say, Lord, I I can't do this. I don't have this. God, would you please give it to me? And God will. Love for the unloving. I had a situation one time. We did this open air meeting in Chicago. And uh, the black Muslims shut us down. They just shut us down. They, they came in and uh, I told the preacher, never engage. If they talk to you, do not engage them. 
They might, they might say, I got a question. You answer the question, it's over. They take over. I mean, it's, it's really smooth the way they do this. So my friend Phil was preaching, and I, I told him, I looked at him in the eyes, you know, you know, with the team leader authority, and I looked at him and I said, Phil, they're going to try to engage you. Don't do it. Just keep preaching. Ignore them. Okay, Phil? Right, Chris. So he gets up and starts preaching, right? And this black Muslim came up and says, I got a question. And Phil goes, what is it? <laughs> it was over. It was over. We just packed everything up and then started doing one-on-one. My one-on-one was this guy who looked like he just got out of prison. His name was Mohammed. And Mohammed was about my size, but bigger, and like a V. He looked like he just finished, you know, the weight machine or something. And uh, this guy, he was really, he was really, oh man, he was scary looking. That's what he was. I just really, he was really scary looking. And he wouldn't let me up for air. He's a, he's a black Muslim. Christianity is verboten, wrong, all this kind of stuff. And I'm trying to give him my best stuff, my best information, right? And I realized I'm getting nowhere. I'm going nowhere with this. And I just said, Lord, help me. And I, I, so what I did was I just I changed tactics on the guy. I said to Muhammad, I said, my, my name is Chris. He, he goes, he just looked at me and wouldn't shake hands with me. I said, what's your name? He goes, Muhammad. I said, I don't care, Muhammad. It's good to meet you. I said, I don't care. I don't care if you kill me. Well, I did a little bit. I... I <laughs> I mean, he, he could do it too. I mean, one punch and I'd be with the Lord. But um, I said, I don't care if you kill me. I just want to let you know, Muhammad, that Jesus loves you. And so do I. That was my apologetic to Islam. And he goes, he looks at me like I slapped him. I'm going, oh no. And he goes, I said, I, said, I don't care what you tell me, man. I said, uh, Jesus loves you and so do I. And he took a step back. And Moron Chris, that's my name. If you didn't know that, I'm Chris. Moron Chris, when he took a step back, I took a step towards him. <laughs> and he says, I said, hey, I don't care what you, th- what you think of me, man. Je- Jesus loves you and so do I. And he, he goes, man, get away from me, man. You foot of tricks. You know? <laughs> And I said, you know, I don't care what you say, man. He, and so he starts backing up, and the building is right behind him, you know. So he starts moving to the side. And then he decides he's going to walk down the street. And I felt like one of that, you know, that dogs, you know, with Spike, you know, the big dog and the little yapper dog. I felt like the little yapper dog going down. I don't care what you say to me, Muhammad. Jesus loves you, and so do I. I don't care what you say to me. Get away from me, man. You Get away from me. And... Uh, and so this chiseled guy, one punch here with Jesus, he's like intimidated, you know, like nipping at his heels or something. And then finally, I got enough wisdom. When he went and crossed the street, I stayed on that side. And I go, oh, man. Oh, man, I'm, I'm still here. You know, and that's great. About two weeks later, we were in the subway platform. A whole bunch of us were in the subway platform in Chicago at night. And my friend Lou Sari... If you know anything about subway evangelism, you get to the edge of the platform and you turn, and so you, you brace yourself a little bit, 
So if somebody were to come and push you, you you know you don't fall into the tracks and you do the three rope trick and this kind of stuff. Well, my friend Lou, who's with the Lord now, not because of this, but uh, <laughs> he, he you know he, anyway he didn't die then. Okay, so he's he's standing there doing the three rope trick and I'm watching my friend Lou. Lou looks like a bowling pin. He, he looks like one of those, you know, they ever see those little rubber job things? You hit them and go, boy, like that. You ever see those things? You know, of course you do. You maybe have one at home. Okay. So he, um, he's preaching, and all of a sudden, the black Muslims are coming down the street, down the, down the stairs in the subway platform. And they got the big Korans and everything. They're coming straight down. And I'm going, uh-oh. And one of them comes over and forearms Lou to knock him on the tracks. And Lou, just like that, I don't know how far he went. He went like this. He came right back up, which must have freaked the guy out. <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking at the Chicago Tribune headlines, you know. All these guys die for in the name of Christ, you know. And I'm thinking, and all of a sudden, as this is happening over here, the guy, those guys started fanning out. And here comes Mohammed. And he's coming straight at me. And I'm going, oh, my word. And I'm going, oh, Lord. Lord, just really take care of Barb. You know? <laughs> you know, just, you know, I mean, I thought it was over. I thought it was over. And uh, would you stand up, please? Yeah. Yeah, stand over here. Actually, stand over here, man. Actually, stand over here. <laughs> you know, no, you know. <laughs> He comes down the stairs. This guy's trying to kill my friend Lou. The other guys are fanning out to take on the rest of the team, all right? And this and Mohammed comes up to me, he goes, Hey bro, how are you? <laughs> and he hugs me. And he goes, How's it going? I'm going, That's the right guy? <laughs> he should be killing me. He goes, and then he, he grabs me by the shoulder, squares me up. He goes, I know, I know. Jesus loves me, and so do you. <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh, man, this is incredible. This is incredible. The best apologetic that I could ever give this black Muslim was the love of God. Not my great answers. It was the, it was the love of God. And, that, and I just thought to myself, God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love. And not only power and love, but a sound mind. Soundness of mind. And I'd like us to look at uh, uh, Romans chapter 12, if you would turn there, please. Romans chapter 12. Because a sound mind, and when you talk about God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound, it's a soundness of mind. It's a reasonableness. The Christian... When, in, when controlled by the Spirit of God, will be a reasonable person. It's not, you know, weird or anything else like that. It is reasonable. And I'd like us to look at this because it, it's, it's soundness of mind, a sound mind through dedication and a sound mind through transformation. And Romans chapter 1 verse, excuse me, chapter 12 verse 1 says, I, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable or logical form of worship. 
It is logical. It is the most normal thing to be on fire for Him. It is not normal. It is not logical. Not How do I put this? If you're not on fire for Him, that's the abnormality. That's the anomaly. I mean, it's, it's, it's normal for a person to be on fire. And that's exactly what this is saying. And, you know, and it's the dedication, sound mind through dedication. Notice, notice the particulars. I beseech you or I beg you, uh, therefore, brethren, be, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your form your rational form of worship, some people say. And this is what it is. So I have to ask myself the question, uh, I'm not going to think straight, I'm not going to really be straight in terms of what the wisdom of God and the power of God unless I yield to God. I've got to put it all on the altar to God. And what the problem with the altar the problem, this is not an altar, but let's just say this was an altar. The problem with an altar is we have this tendency to squirm off it. A living sacrifice. Oh, I'm going to take it back. I'm going to take my life back. I'm going to, I'm going to start running it. That's a big mistake, by the way. To think that you can outthink God and outrun your own life? Big honkin'. That's from the Greek word honko, which means honkin'. And... Uh, you know, you want to, you know, it's a big mistake. It's a really big mistake to think that you can let, you can outthink and outlive God in terms of how you're going to control your own life. Can't do it. So we dedicate our life to Him. You give it to Him for whatever He wants to do with it. And so it's not only a sound mind through dedication, but also transformation. Notice the next verse. And be not conformed to this world. <laughs> the more I look at this world, the con- the, you know, being conformed to it, that's disgusting. That's disgusting. You know, it's not the drug addict that's, you know, shooting up right now and getting high on heroin or whatever that's really disgusting. It is the Christian who's not yielding to him. That's really disgusting because we do know. We do know the truth. We do know the power. We do know the love. We have felt the love. We know the power. And for us to renege on giving our lives to Him, big mistake. Big mistake. And very unprofitable. Very unprofitable. Notice what he says. He says here, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want the will of God. You know, and when I do this, I had a friend of mine, his name is Mike. And Mike was a, Mike was a guy who, um, well, I don't know how to put Mike, except that when Mike, uh, he worked, I just knew him, he worked at a, a bakery. You know, he worked for Robbie Pyle, actually. Huff Bakery, at Huff bakery in Cleveland, Ohio. Mike was a burnout. That's the common name for this guy. He did every drug you can think of. I think he even did floor wax. You know, he did everything you can think of. And this guy stuttered. He couldn't remember. He did mescaline. He did LSD. He did, I mean, think of, <laughs> give, a, give a thing, he did it. 
right? And this guy, he was, and he couldn't remember anything. He couldn't do anything because he had done it so long. He trusts Christ as his personal Savior. Get this. He trusted Christ as his personal Savior, and his mother was so upset by that, she had him committed to an insane asylum. To a mental hospital. Had him committed to a mental hospital because you can't be in your right mind and be a Christian. She didn't have him committed because he was doing all the drugs. She had him committed once once he found out the reality of Jesus Christ. But it was a blessing for Mike because while in this mental hospital, Mike got got the Bible and started memorizing the Bible. And you want to know something? His memory started to come back. And also he started, as he memorized the Bible, he started, he could memorize the Bible. He could actually remember the Bible and his stuttering stopped or, you know, diminished. It's amazing, the transformation by the renewing of your mind. It's just amazing how God does these things and how God works in such a powerful, powerful way. And I think to myself, you know, how God does this and the soundness of the mind and the reasonableness that God gives us. So God has not given us the spirit of fear. He's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. This is what He's already given us. We need to lay hold of those promises, the power and the love and the sound mind. We need to lay hold of these promises that God gives us. <laughs> it's just so weird. I don't know about me and dogs. Uh, I, you know, I love little Bowsers and stuff. Uh, when I was dating Barb, I uh, <laughs> I didn't have I, I I think I didn't have a car. Uh, this is a while back, and uh, I was dating a pretty Barb. And uh, I, I was walking a walk over to her house. It was at night, and it had just rained. It was probably late spring, maybe early summer. And I'm walking, and the street lamps were reflecting off the new glistening uh, uh, roads of, of which I was walking. And I, as I'm walking along, going towards her house, navigating through the streets, I hear this. <laughs> <laughs> so it's getting a little louder and my hearing was a little better then and I see and I see this Bowser bounding for me <laughs> and, and I thought to myself oh no oh no and he's, he's, gonna, he's running after me and I'm going there's nobody else around he's not you know another pound of flesh here it goes right so I'm, I'm in shape I thought it was anyway. I start, I start running. I was a lot lighter too, and I start running. And as I pick up the the pace, I hear the dog getting closer. He's got four to my two. He's going faster, and he's he's closing in on me. And I'm going, uh oh. And I'm, I start really booking it, really cooking. And I'm going, and I go. He's like, he's like from here to that stool. And I thought, I can't outrun this dog. And if I keep running, this dog's going to have this pound of flesh on me. He's going to bite me. So I thought, okay, if he's going to get me, I might as well square up. And so what I did was I stopped, and I, <laughs> I went just like this. I go, come on! 
some muscle dog or something, you know, you know, just eat me up. When we're fearful, when we're fearful, we have to meet it with these three promises. Because we are. We get very fearful. And the devil is just like that. He's just like those two dogs. The, the one that, with the chain is short. And uh, the one that's, we just turn and we say, look, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Lay hold of those three promises. Okie doke. Lay hold of those three promises. Father, I just pray that we would do this, that we would live for you, that we would be the men and women of God you'd have us to be. You have told us this so oftentimes. We're so scared. We are so scared and they're like dogs. They're like a roaring lion seeking whom to devour. We're going to answer him and answer that fear with faith. We're going to answer it with you. You have not given us that fear. That is not from you. You have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Help us, Lord, to act on these promises that you have given us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much.